0: Let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us during our time together tonight. Father God, we thank You that You did not leave us without resources. That You did not leave us on this earth to deal with the challenges of life and the conflicts of life and and the spiritual wars that we're seeing happening around us and, and to have to wrestle with spiritual entities, Lord, without adequate resources. God, You've given us more than enough. You are more than enough for anything that we will ever face. And God, You have clearly put us out on this battlefield so that we, Lord, could be used by You to change people's hearts as they look at us and how we live and how we proclaim You and and how we live for You, God, that, that You can use our testimony, our life, our lifestyle how we carry ourselves god to be a change agent in this world but we can't do it lord the way everyone else in the world's doing it we've got to take up lord the weapons that you have placed into our hands and one of those primary weapons god is the weapon of worship and so god i pray tonight that as we as we exalt you as we praise you as we celebrate you in this auditorium that lord Our worship and praise would go beyond here. That, Lord, what we're doing here tonight would just continue throughout our lives for the rest of the week and month and year. That, God, You would just flow through us out into this world that desperately needs to see Your love and Your grace and Your mercy and Your compassion. And, God, that that You alone could melt the hearts of people that you could change the hearts of those in this world. Because, God, you're the answer. And we know you, God. We have that answer. And we need to proclaim you, Lord, to each and every person that we come in contact with you in some way, God. Whether it's by saying something or not saying something. Whether it's by doing something or not doing something. But, God, most of all, may they see everyone around us, God. Our love for you, our adoration for you, God, that you are everything to us, and we lift you up in this place tonight. Would you, God, enable us to worship you as you most deserve? These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12 tonight. While you're turning there, just a reminder, we would love to see as many of you out Saturday, sometime between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. for spending some time here in the auditorium to pray. Uh, If you can't join us physically, we certainly invite you to join us wherever you can join us and just for us to unite our hearts in prayer uh, at this time as God's people. Last week, we looked at the first 11 verses of Colossians chapter 3 where Paul was really reminding us about our identity in Christ, and to to be grounded in our identity, individually, to know through Jesus and who we are in Jesus, who we really are, so that we can be settled and and firm and secure and, and courageous and composed and confident as we move through life. But here's the deal, God then designed us to also be part of his body, the church, to be part of a community of believers, and to bring our identity, who we are, into the body. You see, God wants us to bring our individuality. We don't lose it when we join the body. We actually should keep it. Keep your individuality. God celebrates diversity, but what God says is this. You and I... We'll learn our true identity as we walk with Christ every day, knowing who we are in Him, but also, also, God designed us to learn who we are and become more and more sure of our identity through our relationship with our fellow Christians. So You you see, you and I can't truly know who we are apart from one another. It's the way God designed it, you see. So in verses 12 through 17, the ones we're going to look at tonight, God is basically laying out to the Colossians and to us, any church down through the ages, here's how you do church. Here's the way church should be done. So that as you and I come in to the church, either searching for our identity or knowing who we are, Joining ourselves in fellowship with other Christians, then we begin to express our identity as part of the church, that others then have their identity shaped by us expressing our identity, and because they express their identity as part of the body, our identity begins to take shape as well, you see, as we come together. Verses 12 through 17 are not addressed to the individual as verses 1 through 11 predominantly were. These are addressed to the community. These are addressed to the corporate body. And so let me also say again that you cannot read or study this passage of Scripture without realizing something. You and I can't carry this out if we're not together. We just can't. As much as it's great that we can do the distance thing and, and all of that, This kind of stuff can only be carried out in close proximity to each other. And in the first three verses, 12, 13, and 14, Paul's basically telling us, here's what you wear to church. Now, he's not talking about physical clothes. He's talking about our spiritual wardrobe. Because remember, last week when we talked about our identity, he was telling the Colossians, Don't keep wearing the old clothes of the old nature, the grave clothes. They stink. Can't totally get rid of them because we're living in this human body, but you can put them in the back of your wardrobe and choose not to put them on anymore. They're the old life. Don't put those on. And now, beginning in verse 12, Paul's going to tell the people of God, here's what you do wear every day. Here's what you do clothe yourself in. And especially being mindful of that, as we come together with one another. Then he gets to, in verses 15, 16, and 17, what the environment should be. What do we do when we come together? And as we wear the things we should be wearing, and as we do, as the church, the things we should be doing, we continue to grow in our identity, becoming who God created us to be, and by expressing our individual identity in the body, we help shape and encourage others to grow in their identity with Christ as well. So let's first, tonight, just take a few minutes and look at our wardrobe, if you will. What we are to wear to church is how I'm looking at this tonight. He says, therefore, as the elect of God as the chosen, as the called-out ones of God. So he's talking here to the church. In fact, this word elect, electos, in the Greek language, is very close to the word for church, ekklesia, the called-out ones, meaning God calls us out of our individual homes and, and summons us to come together as his people. That's what it means to be part of the church, to come together to worship him and, again, to be a part of this body, this community of believers. God has called us out to be part of something bigger than ourselves. It is holy, meaning distinct. It is realizing that we are dearly loved, that we, as His children, and and even as a community, that we occupy a special place in God's heart. Jesus Christ gave his life for each of us individually, but he also gave his life for the church. Because he said, I will build my church. The church is very sacred and special and dear to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is what he is devoting his attention to doing today. Building his people. But then notice what Paul says. Clothe yourselves with these things. This is what we as God's people are to wear. Obviously, whether we're around anyone or not, but especially you'll notice that these play a a really important role when we're in relationship with each other because uh, they're all about, in a sense, telling us how do you do relationships with each other? How do you get along? How do you have all this diversity and yet continue to be unified? How, how How do you do this? Well, Paul says this, first of all, clothe yourselves with a heart of mercy, compassion, having feeling for others and what they're dealing with and what they're going through. Kindness is simply a helpful spirit, one that seeks and wants to help others in some way, you see. That's being kind. Kindness is not just Uh, an attitude, it is going beyond just wanting to help somebody. It is actually helping them in some way, in the way that best helps them. Humility, we talked about Sunday, recognizing in a sense our insufficiency, but God's all-sufficiency. Gentleness is really about being friendly towards others being accommodating, being easy to get along with and easy to work with. It's the idea even of being refreshing to be around. There's only two kinds of people in this world, Christian or not, draining and refreshing. Or draining and resourceful. They either fill you up or they sap you. And God wants His people, especially when we're around each other, to be conscious of, of being gentle. see, And then patient. Now, this isn't the idea of being patient so much with people as much as exhibiting a calm, confident composure. It was a word about speaking about being willing to stay under uncomfortable circumstances, knowing that God has a reason for us being in that situation. And instead of trying to sort of get out of it, that we trust the Lord and we remain under it for as long as God wants us to remain under it. But it's not this grin and bear it type of thing. It, it's, it's a confidence in knowing, again, sort of like, I'm counting it all joy when I go through these things because I know that God in some way is using it spiritually to benefit my life or other people's lives that will be touched by mine at one time or who are watching me at that time. That's what it means to be patient. Patient in the midst of trouble and challenge and crisis and adversity and remaining under it until God says, okay, now it's time. Now I'm going to release you from that. Uh, One of the greatest biblical examples I could think of this trait is Joseph in the book of Genesis. Genesis. Thrown in prison, thrown in the pit, always remaining there. And not that he wanted to be there, but he knew, God, I'm just going to be as faithful to you as I can be until you get me out of here. Because I know that you're preparing me for this. And then he says, bearing with one another. What does that mean? A couple things. It means being a grace giver rather than a grace taker. <laughs> it means allowing others to fail. Fail. Because guess what? You and I are going to fail. And if they allow us to fail, we need to allow them to fail. That's one of the things that I hope as people come and become a part of our church that they understand, especially when it comes to serving. Because so often as Christians, we don't step up and serve because we're afraid of failing, we're afraid of making a mistake, we're afraid of disappointing someone. Can I just tell you, We're all going to fail. As your pastor, I fail. And and we have to allow each other to fail. That's how we grow and become the leaders and the servants that God wants us to be. And, And if you knew that it was okay to fail, maybe more people would step up and serve. Instead of putting so much pressure on themselves that they feel like, i got to do this perfectly or else I can't serve. That's the way many Christians approach service, and it's so sad because that's not the way he wants us to be as a body, you see. So we need to wear that bearing with one another and then forgiving one another. Releasing others from a sense of indebtedness is what it means to forgive. Now, it doesn't mean that if they've broken our trust, that we just automatically trust them again. It doesn't mean that we're buddy-buddy, you know, that we maybe are as close as we used to be, depending on what happened there and all that. But what it does mean is that you and I are not seeking in some way for some pound of flesh. That we're not seeking to hurt them in some way for what they've done to us. That we let that up to the Lord. If the Lord wants to somehow bring some kind of consequence or judgment or whatever upon them, that's fine. Now, when it comes to obviously laws that are broken in our society, then yes, God says that's why we set up, you know, the judicial system and and all of that is if they break a law, then they have to pay the consequences for it. But here we're talking more about personal offenses and simply release it. Because guess what? God is has released our indebtedness to him completely. And then he says, if someone happens to have a complaint or a grievance against anyone else, and that will come if you and I are going to do life close to each other. You see, there are some Christians like, well, that never happens. Yeah, I know why it never happens, because you're never around too many Christians that that often. Because if you were, it would happen, right? You would somehow... Uh, have, they'd have a grievance against you and you'd have it again. That's just part of being so close to each other. But God designed it that way. So that's why He's telling us all these things. If you and I aren't doing relationships as close as we should be, then what forgiveness do we have to give? What bearing do we have to give? What gentleness and, and kindness? and you, All of these are because we're so close to each other in close proximity to each other. Then he says, just as the Lord, in proportion to how much the Lord has forgiven us, so you also forgive others. Cancel the debt. Cancel the debt, because Jesus canceled our debt completely. In other words, we don't look at the person who offended us as owing us anything. We just let it go. Now again, it doesn't mean that you and I navigate that relationship maybe the way we used to. But what it does mean is, again... We're not seeking something from them because of what they've done to us. We let that up to God. And then he says, here's the last thing I want you to wear. that The thing that basically wraps all your other clothes up. Everything else is underneath this. This is like the the overcoat or the belt or the robe or whatever. This wraps it all up, he says in verse 14. And upon all these virtues, wrap them all up with love as God is and as God shows, because that's the perfect bond. That's the uniting principle that keeps us all together, is the love of God. And we know that all these things that we wear can only be consistently and faithfully worn by us, even as Christians, as we rely and depend upon the Spirit of God. Because you and I can't live on the, at this level on our own. We need to be supernaturally empowered continually to clothe ourselves with the wardrobe of God, to be merciful, to be kind, to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to bear with one another, to forgive one another, and to love one another. And Paul is basically saying to us, when you come to church and when you do your relationships with other Christians, this is what you are to wear. Then he says, to us as the church, and now this, when you come together, is what we need to do. Three things. Promote peace, promote the Word of God, and promote the worship of God. In fact, these verses are the verses that we use in our bulletin and other places to remind people that at the Oasis, this is why we have the Word And our worship complement each other rather than compete with each other. Because these verses in Colossians teach us that the more we get into the Word and elevate the Word, the more worship is elevated as well. The Word drives us to worship God. Our worship of God drives us back to the Word so that we learn more about Him in order to worship Him even in a greater way. But the first is found in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ be in control in your heart, for you were in fact called, and if anyone doubted that this was, these words were being addressed to the body, to the corporate body, to the community believers, and not to the individual, note what he says in verse 15. For you, plural, were in fact called as one body to this peace. And be thankful. And again, here's the thing. If the church, if we're not wearing the things we should be wearing and doing the things we should be doing, that circumvents what God can and wants to do in our midst as we come together. It prevents us individually from continuing to grow in our identity in Christ, and it it short-circuits the church being the place where we can sort of influence and, and positively affect others growing in their identity, too. It prevents all that. Because if we're not wearing the clothes we should be wearing, then we begin to become more of an irritation to each other than someone that we want to get close to and stay close to and realize you can be my iron, and we can sharpen each other. And by coming together, we can be better together than we could be apart, spiritually speaking. Now, I'll say this. (laughs) There are even some Christians that you know, the closer you get to them, they do not benefit you spiritually. Then in wisdom, you need to be careful and cautious. Just because they're another Christian doesn't mean you should be close to them. You and I have to figure out who it is that we truly benefit and profit from. And and hopefully, too, we're open to God leading us to the right people in the right fit that we talked about a couple weeks ago. So with all of that said, Paul says, here's what we need to be about when we come together. Peace! Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons and daughters of God, Jesus said. He says, if you and I are wearing all these right clothes, then peace will be a part of our fellowship. Harmony, tranquility, you see. And the peace of God will also be our, our umpire, our arbiter, as we make decisions as a church. It will be the deciding factor in what needs to be settled in our hearts. Now that's true individually, but in this passage, he's talking to the church corporately. And then he says, and be thankful. Keep on being thankful. Keep counting your blessings every day. You see, the word peace here is a word that speaks about being joined together, being bound together, being tied up together. That's why even individually we, we lose peace when we say, I, I'm, I'm all apart, I'm, I'm like falling apart or I'm scattered in pieces. It's like, I, I don't know what to do. My mind's over here and scattered in different directions. The only way you and I have peace is when we allow God to bring everything under Him and it's all, it all comes together. And the same thing is true corporately. God wants to see us all be able to come together and be promoters of harmony, first of all with Him, and then with one another. James says in James 3.18, righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In other words, God's Spirit needs a certain kind of soil, if you will, or environment to work effectively in. God's Spirit is going to be quenched and grieved in an environment where Christians are fighting and striving amongst each other, where there's all this discord, where there's all this division. Basically, the Spirit of God says, I don't have the proper ingredients in which to sow righteousness. But when we are striving to be at peace with each other and to create and maintain this peaceful harmony and unity amongst each other, then the Spirit of God can come down and fall and plant us into that soil and can truly root us and begin to work spiritually to grow us in that kind of an environment. That's why it's so vital that we wear the proper things to church we should be wearing so that peace and the promotion of peace is something we're very conscious to do. And I will say that in the last 10 years, we at least so far at the Oasis have been blessed overall to be a church pretty much of, of unity and harmony. There have been times where the devil has tried to get in there and I'm sure the devil is going to continue to try to get in there because one way that he destroys what God wants to do in his people is by dividing us. By dividing us. Which is why I've said even all along, even way back at the beginning of the virus spreading, that we as God's people need to be careful that no matter what, our perspective personally is on this, that we don't allow our personal feelings and our personal perspective about that to begin to divide us from one another as God's people. God wants us to come together under Jesus Christ. And if all of us are being having His peace be the umpire, be the, the arbiter, that we can be at peace with Him, then we can more be at peace with one another because God's Spirit is certainly not going to lead us at the same time to be in conflict with each other. If we're truly both seeking the Lord, then there's going to be some kind of situation where we at least can agree to disagree, but to do it in a way that does not damage the harmony and peace within the body. So That's the first thing we need to do. The second thing we need to do, verse 16, is to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom. Let the Word of God have a prominent place. Promote the Word of God. Exalt the Word of God. God says in the Old Testament, I magnify My Word even above My name. That's how important the Word of God is to God and should be to us. And he says, I want it to dwell in you. I want it to take up residence permanently. I want it to be at home in your church and in your lives. I don't want it to be a a visitor that just comes along every once in a while. I want it to be what you are predominantly known for. I want my people and my churches to be known for peace, and I want them to be known that they are places where the Word of God is elevated and exalted, where it is promoted, where it is central to everything that is said and done in that community of believers. The Word of God must dwell. Dwell. And then I love this. He says richly. Meaning, do we realize how prosperous we are? how wealthy we are. Because the word rich speaks about abundance. And he's saying, do you realize God giving you his word makes you abundant? That that He's given you maybe not everything you want to know but everything you and I need to know and that this book makes us wealthy and rich beyond belief because in it we have the wisdom and the mind of God graciously given to us and therefore we can teach each other, we can exhort each other with all wisdom. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Give us this day our daily bread. God's Word is our bread, and we need to be a church that's always known not only for peace, but for the Word of God. But it doesn't end there. Then, at the middle of verse 16, he says, we also need to be a people that are known as worshipers, as those who are devoted worshipers, enthusiastic worshipers, ready to celebrate God and praise God at a moment's notice. In season, out of season. He says, singing. Christians sometimes ask, why do we sing? Because God tells us to. And here's the real deal. Do you know God sings over us? Zephaniah 3.17, and one day we will hear God sing over us. God sings. We should sing. Because singing is just a, a great way of expressing what's in our heart. It's a way of declaring who we believe God to be, and how blessed and how fortunate we are as God's people, as God's thankful people. So he says, let's be a singing people who sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all with grace in our hearts to God, all with an appreciation of grace, all knowing that everything we've ever gotten from the Lord and will get from the Lord is so undeserved, and yet God has poured it out upon us. In order to worship God effectively, we've got to have the influence of God upon our heart. God doesn't want us to just come in here as a community of believers and to go through the motions and just, in a sense, sing and and go through the words of the songs just because that's what we should do, but because that's what we want to do. It is overflowing. It cannot be contained. We can't wait to get to church and sing about our God and worship Him. You see. And as we extend that thought of worship, this is also part of it. Verse 17. Whatever you do. No exceptions, by the way. Whatever we do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's worship. What does it mean to do all things in His name? It means in accordance with who He has revealed Himself to be and in partnership with who He has revealed Himself to be. Because the name of Embodied everything that is said about Jesus. Giving thanks again, being continually grateful to God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's worship. Because basically, that's God's got my life. Everything about my life goes back to Jesus, which is what we talked about last week. He's everything to me and He permeates everything in my life. There's not a part of my life that Jesus hasn't become a part of. That's worship. That's putting Jesus first place, as Paul told about the Colossians. And let's not forget that singing and worshiping is not only an outflow of the Word of God truly dwelling in us. We also know from another book that Paul wrote, the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, that worship is also an overflow of being filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. Then, verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord. You and I are, it will be an expression of the filling of the Spirit and the dwelling of God's Word in our life when we are worshipers, where we are known as worshipers. And I love the fact that you know, when this church first started, obviously because of you know who I am and how God wired me and His gifting and all that, a lot of people came because they wanted the Word. And I get that. That's, that's one of the things we should be known for. But I'm so glad over these 10 years, and especially under the influence of our worship leader, Nicole, that we are moving towards also becoming known as a church of worshipers. Because that's what we also should be known for. That when, when people think of the Oasis, what God wants others to think about, what He wants us to think about, is this is what we should be about. Peace, the Word of God, and the worship of God. Wearing what we should be wearing to church so that we can continue to grow in our identity and so that we can enable others, our brothers and sisters to Christ, to grow in their identity. This is a message to us, as the people of God. And I want to end with this, and then I've asked Nicole to come back up and end with a song tonight because this is all about, you know, so much about worship and overflowing with thankfulness. I want you to see something real quickly with me. Even in the passage tonight, look at the end of verse 15. Be thankful. Keep on being thankful. Then the end of verse 16. All with grace. Well, grace is just an appreciation of God's grace, that's also being grateful or thankful. And then verse 17, giving thanks, being continually grateful. But you know what? Being thankful wasn't only written down here. Real quick, just go back with me for a moment to chapter 1, verse 12. Notice he starts off in the very first chapter, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you and I to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Then go over to chapter 2. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in Him and firm in your faith just as you were taught and overflowing with what? Thankfulness. Then we come to chapter 3, the verses we looked at, and then go over to chapter 4 real quick. Every chapter has something about being thankful or thanksgiving. Be devoted to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. 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 You know what's interesting? In the middle of this Greek word, for thanksgiving is the word for grace. Because again, you and I only learn how to truly be grateful and thankful when we begin to acknowledge, recognize and appreciate the grace of God. Paul even said, it's "By the grace of God I am what I am." Paul learned that God's grace was sufficient that no matter what He was dealing with what challenges, what crisis, what adversity, what difficulty, what pressures that God's grace would be given to him and that God's grace was sufficient. And that everything you and I have and will look forward to throughout all eternity is all because of the grace of God. We didn't deserve any of it. We have it all, though, because of God. I say all that because if that doesn't stir within us a heart that wants to worship God, I don't know what can. But I also wanted to use this as a bridge to our song tonight. Nicole, I'm going to ask you to come on up. This song is a very familiar one to all of us. It is well with my soul. You know the story, the background of this song. This man lost his family. And after he learned that he had lost his family, he sat down and wrote this song. How could a man, even a Christian, write a song saying, it's well with my soul even after I just learned that my family has perished in a tragic accident? Because of God's grace. Because of God's grace. God's grace It's wonderful. It's marvelous. It's amazing. We've we've heard all those songs throughout our Christian life. You and I stand in God's grace. We live in God's grace. We're going to be carried into eternity with God's grace. There's never a moment where God's grace is not dripping off of us, if you will, as God's people. So would you stand with me tonight? And as we sing, and sing it out, It is well with my soul. Let's sing it with grace in our hearts to the Lord tonight. And let's be thankful and show Him how grateful and thankful we are for His grace so that every last person in this room, no matter what we're going through right now, just like the author of this great song, could say, Lord, it is still well with my soul. Amen? Let's lift up our voices tonight.